And that's when the truck kind of, I saw it go up on the median strip and drive kind of around some protesters and right towards those protesters. Um, and, you know, immediately reminded me of what happened in Charlottesville. I was like terrifying because um, could have easily been. Again, and you're listening to Race Capital with me, Chelsea Higgs Wise. This week on Race Capital, we discuss how the cops and Klan go hand in hand, and the case study is right here in Richmond, Virginia. Race Capital has had two victims of hate crimes reach out to discuss their experience with cars as weapons. First, we have an Henrico resident sharing his story from June 7th. He begins with the protest in the neighborhood with about a hundred or so people. Uh, but then I noticed the traffic was kind of getting really dangerously close to the protesters. Everybody's kind of spread out and mar- you know, marching in both lanes. And so it's getting a little, uh, but the other bicyclists to me were just kind of keeping them off. And actually I had stopped because I felt like we had passed that part. Some of the traffic had been diverted. Um, there were a good hundred people maybe up in the road um, uh, that, that were protesting. And so uh, it didn't happen. You know, it was kind of minor, uh, luckily. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think I was the only one who was injured. And it was like, I think I'm going to lose a toenail. <laughs> so that's a, not too bad of an injury. Uh, my bike was damaged a lot. Uh, not, uh, my bike wheel was damaged. But um, other than that, you know, what could have happened uh, is what really kind of frightens me. And, and this also is what frightens me is um, I went home uh, and – We'd, I planned to go with my wife and son to another protest down the street at the APL Hill Monument. And, you know, I was, my adrenaline was cranked and I was like pissed off. And, um, and here was this really sweet, nice people demonstrating and you know, holding their signs at the intersection. And I looked over and there was that truck. He had followed us to the second protest, like an hour later. Um, so a lot of people don't understand this. They think it all happened in one place. But he got away. In Lakeside, he took off, and he came back and was sitting monitoring the protest at the AP Hill Monument. So I confronted him. It was the same guy, um, and that's when I reported him to the police. So when you... So I don't know what he was planning on doing. But when you saw him, was he just driving behind them, or what What was he doing? No, he was, he was parked. So um, there's AP Hill and Laburnum. 
and there's a Hill Monument Parkway, which goes kind of like a curve, um, about a, you know, less than a block away from the monument. And he was just parked on the side with some other car sitting there, uh, filming with his phone. Uh, you know, my son and wife standing there and other people protesting. Um, and uh, so, you know, again, what I didn't know he was, a, he was involved in these kind of white supremacist groups uh, mm -hmm. at the time, but I figured that out pretty quickly. So it's even more terrifying the more I found out about it. Yeah, and, then, um, yeah. and then my interactions with the Richmond police were, um, uh, you know, a dish, you know, might not need more confirmation about, you know, what, what the role of police is, but, you know, he was, um, uh, the police officer, uh, the Richmond police officer who I first met and talked to, and, and he had actually called the Henrico police because that's where it happened. Um, so I was waiting for them, and he said, um, you know, he's got his story, you've got your story, ah, it's whatever. And it's like, well, first of all, I haven't finished you telling, telling my story. And see all these people standing behind me? They're all witnesses. So it's his word against all of us. And we had already seen the uh, uh, sticker on the back of his truck, uh, his uh, white supremacist sticker. Um, so the cop was kind of hassling me. Um, he told me to, every time I'd go talk to someone, he told me, hey, you need to come back here and wait right here. But he fetched water for the uh, white supremacist. He's like, hey, officer, can you get the water out of my cab? And we were all like, you're not going to do it right here. Walked over and cut it for him and handed it to him. The guy was comfortable, you know, being protected, unfortunately, by two African-American officers who, you know, had to stand there and guard him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, we were told to get off the uh, private property while where we were waiting, which was a public park. <laughs> I was like, well, it's a public park, so what, we're not going to go anywhere. So he was, he was clearly rooting for this guy. They were came, and that was actually they were, they were they, they knew about this guy, or um, they knew what they were handling, you know, dealing with, and so they were much more professional. There's people complaining about him riding in the front seat, which he, he did, but uh, some detectives came by my house today. They have gins and bars, and I, I, I trust them. They seem pretty cool. They want to nail this guy, um, part of the gang task force. So they're looking for evidence to so he'll get some serious jail time, hopefully. And Richard, you said that when you saw him, you you confronted him and called the cops. Did you speak to him at the when you saw him the second time? Yeah, I said, you hit me at the protest. Um, what the hell are you doing here? Um, what are you filming for? And he said, oh, a free country. Um, rolled his window up. Uh, his son was with him, 17 or 18, probably. Okay. He, um, uh, his dad was taken away, and he looked at me and said, hey, I'm sorry, man. I didn't have anything to do with this. And I said, I'm sorry that you have a dad like that. <laughs> That's your dad. Yeah. So you take care of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I read that he has a history of having mm -hmm. shown up at protests. And, like, he has a history of he this. Was at, so. He was at the United the Right rally in Charlottesville. He um, was part of Virginia Flaggers. I've learned mm -hmm. this since then, like you. Um, I remember talking, you know, he showed up at Heather Heyer's funeral, uh, got in a fight. Mm -hmm. He goes from one place of terror to immediately scoping out another group. Um, it's really concerning. Yeah. It's very concerning. It's, you know, um, in retrospect, 
Yeah, I'm not an organizer. Um, you know, I participate in, in these organized events. Um, clearly, I would I would recommend anyone listening who wants to press to really think about this kind of counterinsurgency mentality and that have some cars in the back uh, that I've seen. I think at the, the one that went down the Justice Center, uh, Justice Center, um, which is really well designed, I think, because you had those cars uh, and people around you feeling a little bit more safe. And of course, we ask him the question we ask all of our guests. Uh, what's your privilege and how do you use it to disrupt the myth of white supremacy? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm privileged on a number of levels, being a, a white cis male, right? And so um, I, um, a number of years ago at work after uh, Flander Castile was killed in Minneapolis, um, uh, my organization pulled people together and, and so they could kind of grieve and talk about what happened. And I, my colleagues shared stories, and my African-American colleagues, um, male colleagues, shared these stories about that, you know, whatever level of wokeness I thought I was at, right, um, it, was, it was really down here because he was like, yeah, I'm, you know, drive home every day, and like once a week I'm pulled over. Um, and he talked about his feelings, as one particular colleague, feelings about, um, when he saw a police officer and, um, you know, um, some of the female um, co-workers that were African-American were talking about um, just kind of like these elaborate um, strategies for going through the world that I do, I have no concept of. Like I walk down the street and I see a policeman, and, oh, am I speeding? You know, whatever, and, you know, uh, I don't live with the, that kind of um, fear and um, feeling of, and clearly a feeling of um, trying to, to survive, but also not having a sense of belonging. Like, that was what was really, you know, profound for me. Because even outside of, you know, you can kind of think about what's happening in the world and think, well, you know, this organization particularly, you know, we're all together and we're fighting the same fight. But there was that still, there was still, um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but what was conveyed was this, like, you know, what's going to happen here? There's, like, the microaggressions that happen that we're not even aware of. Like, there's stuff that happens that um, really fundamentally makes, um, you know, many people of color just feel like um, they don't belong. And um, uh, and then and then add that, what, 365 days of the year every year of looking at that so um so 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 my privilege is um you know i'm, I'm able to walk out of this right i could just kind of forget about it and go about my merry way and um this culture and society is built for people like me and welcomes me and uh uh, uh you know i can i can i can not live it if i don't yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it takes, for me, it takes a focus on, I'm kind of a, a ed, ed tech guy, um, is using my calendar. Uh, so putting, like, reminders on my calendar about, it's almost like, um, not really meditations, but kind of your question, like, how are you engaged? What did you do this week to address, you know, uh, kind of the racism and structural and uh, racism and your white privilege and kind of setting that kind of as ongoing and just too much. It, you don't want to get burnout necessarily, but 
have it come back um, and, and kind of re-engage in the work and, and do what you can. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, for, for a lot of reading and getting caught up, we tend to do this work for a long time and being these efforts and uh, how can we um, kind of learn from that and support that um, and you know, be there for people who were, um, have been fighting this fight for a long time. Up next is a story from June 13th, where we hear how a protester was attacked by a police SUV. But let the cops here in Richmond tell it, as well as LeVar Stoney, it was the protesters that attacked a car? Stay tuned. Yeah, so so I, um, I'm pretty new to all this. I came out a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was... Because it was going to be convenient for me to be able to do on the weekends with my schedule, I was like, this is a good thing that I should do. I come from an immigrant family, so I, I felt, as in, as in that's very, uh, I'm, I'm second generation, so it's really important that we support people who, I don't know, are, are deemed the outsider. That's been something that's really important for my family, and uh so I came out and I got gassed by the police a couple weeks ago. I was in that group and uh, that was out. I wasn't at the Lee statue. I was at the other one, the um, closer, uh, the one that's further west, uh, the smaller one. Stuart, that's a jab. That's right. So I was at jab and I, I was uh, with, there was a, some, a family like on my left and there was somebody who was a, like a senior citizen next to me and then um they just started gassing everyone without warning and it was in that moment that i realized that this is bigger than me and going out just on the weekends wasn't going to be enough so uh it, it woke me up it's really sad that it takes something like that to wake people up right now but that woke me up and uh i've been out almost every night um after work i just come out and try to be somebody who can step between police and, and black people because I, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, they're not going to use that type of violence as, as readily on me. And, you know, for what it is, it is what it is. Was this the, the night you were one of the many that were tear gassed? Is that the same night that folks were tear gassed at the Lee Monument? Yeah, it was the same time. Um, so I thought that they started tear gassing us because a kid, we helped a kid up onto the statue uh, with, a, with a little handsaw because he's going to cut a piece off or something. Uh, I don't know. If he was up there for like five hours, he could have cut a little piece off, tiny handsaw. But I thought that that's why they were gassing everybody. But it turns out they had already started gassing people at Lee long before, or a few, few minutes before that. So it just kind of continued down the line. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people here in Richmond, Richmond's a really cool place. And I think we all kind of were like, yeah, I couldn't, it doesn't happen here. Can't happen here. This is my home. Can't happen here. But that ain't true. It's all just, you know, I, I, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned more in the last two weeks than unfortunately I've learned my whole life. So listening to you and other speakers has been um, a really big deal for me and, and I, I keep trying to pull more and more people out because um, this stuff's unacceptable you know they gas people and then they lie about it and then they figure out there's drone footage and they can't get away with it um, 
So I've been out. The reason I've been out is just because it, it feels so important right now. It feels like there's a moment of sea change that we're capable of achieving. Um, but, you know, I, I figured after that moment, I mean, the cops have been pretty, like, distant during all the, all the protests we've done. Um, they really haven't they really haven't antagonized like they did then. And I think it was, I thought it was because somebody must have talked to them and said like, we, we're going to lose our job. We're going to lose everything. You, yeah. you can't attack peaceful protesters. So I thought that was kind of the end of it. But so tonight um, we did, we did a March uh, down broad through um, Scott's edition back down. We went back across to the monument to Lee. Like we were all kind of just filing in from that. And we were talking to the bikes, the, the, the bike people, everybody, the cyclists have been amazing. They've been so awesome. And we were like, hey, just like cut off the streets so that the, the police that are following, um, I mean, there's a ton of people here and we just don't want them to like try to escalate something. So they were just cutting off that, uh, that circle and that street. There's so much foot traffic. Cars don't need to be going through there anyways. And there's plenty of ways to go around. There's, you can get around it so easily in the fan. It's, it's so simple. So they cut him off. Um, I actually didn't know initially that it was a, it was a cop car that was forcing its way through, but I saw a car. It had huge, um, bright, like floodlights on everybody. So that immediately like, got my attention. And then they started going over the curb. And as soon as they started going over the curb, I was like super worried about everybody. Cause I, you know, you don't know what's going on and there's been so many white supremacists trying to hit people in trucks and stuff. So I just ran over, um, because I've been really trying to internalize accomplice, not ally. Like don't, don't sit there and let shit happen to people. Um, because we all need to stick together and you got to make sure that we're all, you know, we, we all need to look out for each other. Uh, other people aren't looking out for us. Cops aren't looking out for us. Um, and turns out in this instance, not only that, but, uh, cops were, were, were this dude was just trying to actually just drive through people. So I ran up and I put my, hand on the car and there's some people to my right I was on the left side of the car and I put my hand on it because it was like you need to stop there's people there's foot traffic there's people and there's no siren there was no warning um I you know that the I was looking and it was so bright from his light but I could see the dude and I was just looking at him and I was like hand on his car and then he revved his engine once and then just lurched forward and there it gets kind of this is where like the adrenaline kicks in and I but he he hit somebody to my right bike, and that went underneath the wheel and under the car. And I was stepping back because the car was pushing me forward. And I stepped on the bike, and I almost went under the car. Um, and on the other side, I don't know if people did or not. Like, he really lurched forward through people. We didn't have any warning. There was no... I, I mean, there was no... It, it came out of nowhere. We had already done the marching i mean they know that there's hundreds and hundreds of people out there um and they haven't gone there the whole like last week and a half because they just tried to redirect traffic which is like hey good you're actually doing something trying to i don't know i guess make amends for attacking <laughs> not that they care but right. i don't know it, it was, it's really overwhelming still i'm i'm really shaken still at this moment um and I, I feel like a, a, a lot of people are. I mean, we've seen videos of cops driving through people. But again, it's just like when we got gassed, it's like, oh, not here in Richmond. Like that, that shit can't happen here. But it just did. Yeah, yeah. it did. 
watch some of the video that's out. It just starts with the cop car and and the bikers kind of face to face. Was there anything before that of, and I've already seen a couple comments of like, why were the bikers blocking them? You know, all the questions that people are going to ask you that I hate to even bring up right now, but what would you say to, to those things? So we've been closing off that circle for, because there's hundreds of people, there's kids, there's families, there's senior citizens inside that circle. So hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, And tonight there was people playing live music. Um, A lot of uh, black creatives were up there uh, doing amazing things, sharing black art, sharing black music, sharing black culture with families and people who who maybe don't even um, get to experience that in their lives. So that was kind of the point of what was going on tonight. Um, um, to my understanding, that was going on while I was there. So the bikers had the entire circle closed. We've had the entire circle closed all day. And we've had the entire circle closed, honestly, like for the past week and a half. So it's not like it's something new. It's not like the bikers were in front of just this cop car. The whole circle's closed to traffic because we don't want people getting hit by cars. And, and there's plenty of ways around it. So it's really easy to have that spot as a space where community can walk and, and talk and actually like have community. Bike marshals during protests, just to like kind of give a little background on the position, actually uh, control traffic. You're keeping folks safe. It's actually not just for the protesters, but also for folks that are on the roadways as well. Yeah. So, so I don't have a bike, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not one of the uh, amazing people who are, are kind of organizing all that. I, I've, I've been helping stand in the, when they don't have enough bikes, I try to fill in as a, as a person because what they do is they are, they do direct traffic. So if traffic needs to get through, they try to create lanes so people can go through safely where they're not going to hit anyone, not going to like, it's for both protection of people who are on feet, but also for the drivers. You don't want to have a experience like that. So they create spaces where, where that's not going to happen. And it's a little chaotic because, like I said, it's hundreds of people. Everybody here is, is really trying to open dialogue and engage in this amazing movement that's happening right now and, and the conversations that are happening right now that, you know, especially in my in white communities aren't, aren't, aren't ever happening. They aren't ever happening. So people, a lot of people are having these for the first time. And it's because these spaces exist and it's because people are taking care of these spaces and creating safe spaces for the conversation to happen. So that's what they're doing. Um, and, and you know, the, the cop tonight, the crazy thing too is, and I don't know, I haven't, I haven't seen what questions you guys are getting, but there was no warning. There wasn't, he didn't have his lights on. He didn't have, I didn't even know it was a cop car until I was like on, like on it. Because all it had were these huge floodlights, so you couldn't see anything. They blinded you. I thought it was one of the uh, white supremacist trucks. It was my first thought because they'd been hitting people and pushing themselves into protest all week. So I was like, that with the huge floodlights, I was like, that's who it has to be. Um, no sirens, no warning, no nothing. Until I was up on the car, I did not know it was a cop. I am so sorry that this happened. And I'm I'm sorry that we are all going through this. Um, and just to hear that you didn't know who was behind the wheel of that car and that it could have possibly been the KKK and that it was the police. And to be honest, for black folks, 
many of us don't see the difference. I was gonna say you can't rule you can't rule one of those out still. We know it was the police, but I just really want to say thank you um, for sharing with us. I, I I just listening to you. I hope that you take care of yourself. I've heard that you are out every night, and something else that we as organizers are are telling ourselves our rest that you do that as well. I hear it's radical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time. I I uh, I. Uh... I'm an, I'm an athlete my whole life, so physically, I'm fine. Being out every night physically for me is not an issue. Mentally, I know that I'm in a place where, where I'm, I'm, I'm worn down, but also mentally right now I have a drive of, of I'm learning things at a rate which I didn't think was possible. And every night I'm... I've only missed a few, but every night I'm not out, I feel like I'm missing the opportunity to learn more. Hearing from these speakers, whether it's uh, you all or whether it's some of the other organizers or whether it's the indigenous people of Richmond, um, is changing my is changing my life. I feel happier and more excited about the direction this country's going in in the last few weeks than I've felt in years. So I'm just real grateful that I have the opportunity to be out there. Uh, I know I need to rest, and I'm always the worst at taking care of myself on, the, on that front. But, uh, but I'm just – every night that I get to be there with people who I feel closer to than I've you know, felt with anybody outside of my, my best friends and family, but I can – take somebody who I'm walking next to and say, this is my best friend in my family and not blink an eye. And they wouldn't blink an eye. So, you know, I know I need a rest, but it's hard for me right now. Cause I just, I feel real grateful. I feel real grateful for everyone being out there. And I never want, I, I think all of us just want us to get through this safely, but also I think we, I mean, we, we, safety, safety is, is optional. As long as we fight for what's right, like one person in chains, everybody's in chains. Um, I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community. It's always been a big deal for me. Uh, And I just am sad that a lot of my time with my charitable work has gone. I'm not sad that it's gone to that and and to to Cat Rescue and TNR, which is my other big thing that I, I love doing. But I'm sad that I that I don't have more time to have invested when I was younger in learning more about why this country, which my family doesn't have a lot of history in, why, why people of color are where they are. And I've learned a, a lot, a lot, a lot. You know, I don't, I don't really know much about civil war. I don't really know much about uh, all of the hardships that people of color Indigenous people and Black people uh, by POC went through to be able to vote. I didn't know about that stuff because I just like my family is an immigrant family. I, I just I feel grateful to be out. I know I need to rest more, but it's okay. I rested. You're I feel like I rested for twenty nine years. <laughs> yeah, we we find it hard too. So you're talking to people yeah. that don't know how to rest either. So it's yeah, okay. we say it's radical, and then we still learn how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I so appreciated hearing a little bit more about, like, your background. 
personally. So I, I appreciate you sharing not only what happened to you today, but like sharing a piece of yourself with us. Yeah. Um, I certainly will hold it and I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I've learned, uh, I've learned a lot about a lot, a lot of people in the movement and I just, I just feel, like I said, I feel, I feel the future is brighter to me now than it's been in years. And I just am so grateful to you all for, for being such a huge part of making that possible. This entire, um, sharing experience is you literally demonstrating using your body, using your mind, learning your time, your energy into, into disrupting that, that narrative. I'll say one thing that's related with when I started to leave, when people started to get gassed two weeks ago, I didn't look to, to help anybody. I didn't, in that moment, I was just thinking about, you know, getting home. In the last two weeks, I learned how selfish that was as somebody who's very able-bodied and how much more I can do if I just put my mind to a community mindset and not to a safety for myself mindset. And so I hate that what happened tonight happened because it was horrible and never should happen. A civil servant tries to actually drive through a crowd of people. But I'm proud that you all have invested in me and other members of the community to where in this moment, as soon as I saw those bright lights and saw somebody going over the, the curb and thought there's a truck that's going to possibly go through people, rather than thinking about my safety, my first thing I thought was those people with bikes, those people sitting in front are my brothers and sisters, and I got to be right there with them. That doesn't happen. That change doesn't happen without you all investing in the community and the community investing in itself. So like the amount of knowledge that they're absorbing in the streets is just Wow. That's just so dangerous, too, because imagine who you could learn about the Civil War from, especially in the former capital of the Confederacy. You know how they taught about how they taught us about the Civil War in school here? And how like, long it took us to unlearn? Thanks for listening to Race Capital on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. And to wrap up this episode, I invited my co-host, Kalia Harris and Naomi Isaac, to finish out this episode. After hearing both of those stories, to me, it was pretty obvious the similarities of being struck by a car driven by a KKK member or being struck by a car driven by a police officer. And for many folks, we're learning that they don't necessarily have the historical knowledge of the KKK and the police. What are you all telling people about that, those connections? I mean, we're in the streets. We're literally chanting cops and Klan go hand in hand. 
Um, and I think for black folks, this connection between uh, the Klan and cops is a connection that we've made you know, early on, it's not new for us. So it's interesting to hear and see how it's, it's manifesting on the streets as well, so that it's illuminating for other people. I think especially for me, it arises, like the connection arises very organ organically. When you think about the intentions of the police right now, uh, who are they protecting? Like you say, when we listen to these stories, they're sharing smokes with presumed white supremacists. They're, you know, they're not in handcuffs. They're not tear gassed. Meanwhile, black folks who are out here um, demanding justice for black lives and advocating against uh, police brutality are receiving so much harm and violence. So I think it's really easy for people who are new to this to make that connection as they are experiencing um, some of the inequity that black folks typically experience from the cops. I think this is where historical consciousness comes to play. Uh, the Knowing the origins of the police, their role, especially here in Richmond, it's really important for us to put those pieces together. Uh, you know, the slave patrols were to get fugitive slaves and bring them back as property. And that is exactly where our police come from here in Richmond. So when we're talking about the connection between white supremacists and the police, it's clear as day because the first white supremacists in our country were those slave owners uh, and those slave patrols. And so those, those pathways are very clear when we look back in history. And even now, uh, it doesn't even take looking back in history when you examine some of the Facebook profiles of these cops. Uh, you saw a couple months ago, The Intercept did a really great story where they uncovered that ICE agents were involved in this very like racist, white supremacist Facebook group online where they were, you know, just spreading like the most genocidal thought and rhetoric um, about Latinx people and migrants and black folks. And these are people who hold guns and are, are meant to ensure our public safety. So it doesn't even take looking that far back in history, cracking open a textbook. You can see in real time, if you just investigate these people's social medias, the values that they align with are completely in alignment with white supremacist thought. So it's an interesting when we also talk about going from uh, black codes where we could be very specific of racial bias and discrimination to more Jim Crow. And that's what I tell folks all the time is that when we, when we try to hide racism in our law with Jim Crow, the KKK just went into hiding underneath the badge. And it's that same transition of power that is undercover. <laughs> yeah. It's just something that we've been living and feeling forever. So when even now, when we're talking about the KKK, even when we're talking now about the cops and Klan go hand in hand, many folks are like, well, that's a little too far. But it's important for folks, like you said, Kalia, to have that historical consciousness. That And this goes deeper than just the actual individuals, but also the, ideolo the ideology that is behind policing. Um, if we have identified that the source of policing is in uh, capturing fugitive slaves, how then has it progressed as we've gone, you know, years and decades and decades? Uh, and so I hear stories in my family of my grandparents having to deal with racist police in the streets. It's the same fight. And so it's important for us to, to illuminate that, that these connections are together.
growing up when I lived in Chesterfield County, I will never forget one time my mom got pulled over by the cops and it ended up being this long ordeal where they thought that she had a tinted license plate and was obstructing justice and wanted to like give her a felony. Um, and it, I remember it was just so insidious to watch like when she got off because obviously the charges were BS, the cops, like the way that they ganged up on our family afterwards, the way that they were like, you're not gonna get away with this. Like I remember who you are. I remember just thinking, I don't even know, maybe I was like 12, but like just thinking, this sounds like my textbook. Like, this sounds like when I read about Ida B. Wells, like, this is insane. And you, that's the experience of so many people living in Richmond in the greater Richmond area. We come in contact with law enforcement and it's been clan-like for, for decades long before this. We can't forget that in Virginia in 2019, there was a Capitol police officer that came back with nationalist ties. There was a Chesterfield County police officer that came back with white nationalism ties. And we know that there was a Richmond police officer last year that told little black kids that wait till you're 18 and that ass is mine. And I would presume that he is also tied to white nationalists. It's also interesting to me that the KKK has been able to survive so long and within a matter of like 17 days, Black Lives Matter protesters and demonstrators are being already listed as a terrorist organization. Our government moves so quickly on terrorist organizations when it's anti-capitalist, when it's anti, uh, when it's against anti-blackness, but they, they move very slow. It's taken hundreds of years for them to catch these white terrorist lynch mobs. And not just to capture them, but to remember us and to memorialize us through these violence, pieces of violence. What I heard from the episode, the same fear and intimidation that one gets from the KKK is the same feelings we get from the cops. And that's, again, how in the world could this institution keep us safe if now folks that are having these weapons turned against them coming to folks like us here at race capital to feel trusted and cared for these are the moments where we have to really understand who keeps us safe and where where do we get these feelings i definitely think that's really important to emphasize on because a lot of white folks when we mention defunding the police and police abolition they're like well what are we going to do if we need help black people already don't have an option we don't call the cops when when i need help if it comes down to calling the cops, I seriously like think about if I if I need to lose my life today. Because if the cops show up at the scene, I could end up getting shot just for needing help. That's a crime while black. So like people, th there's so much privilege already when people talk about police abolition. They don't realize that so many communities already go without this public safety that they idolize. Yeah, and something I've been just reflecting on is we saw these two instances, you know, all over Twitter very visual for us but what we don't see is the terror the white supremacist terror that is being inflicted on our communities day in and day out when cameras aren't there and so i think that that is just so important for us to see that if they're fearless enough that they will do this in front of protesters protesting against police brutality they know that there's live streams that there's cameras just imagine the terror and public housing and black neighborhoods of folks that are genuinely afraid of something that's supposed to be public safety. And I put that in quotation marks. 
they know the power that they have. They know history will forgive them. The white media will forgive them. The white journalists will make create the lies that they need to legitimize this racist institution. And that's very scary to me. Like when I see journalists getting gassed on camera, when I see elders getting gassed, when people are clearly not provoking any kind of violence or any kind of harassment, and the cops are just tear gassing people casually, we know that they feel very powerful and protected by the powers that be. And that includes the media, which is why I'm just very happy that people are now leaning more towards black independent media, specifically race capital. And I appreciate what you brought up, Kalia, is that just the willingness to lie and Naomi, you emphasizing it because that's what we saw yesterday at the press conference with LeVar Stoney, the mayor, even though it was the people's win of the Chief Smith having to resign. That was not anything that had to do with Mayor LeVar Stoney. So please do not give him that. That was the people that got that win. But still, even though he told us that the chief was leaving, Everything else he said was blaming the protesters, was lifting the police, was taking care of the police chief as he was exiting. The entire tone of that press conference was, I'm going to do this one thing for you, but don't expect anything to change. Yeah, and the whole time I was listening, all I could see was that picture of LeVar Stoney in front of the Blue Lives Matter flag. Because... That's exactly what he did, Chelsea. He told us that the fi- the chief was um, fired and then proceeded for the entire time after that to lift up police officers to say that they've been working 16 days. And, you know, we're seeing on Facebooks of these folks that they're treating this like an actual battle abroad. Um, and, and that's important. They're gassing people. I spent time just passing out waters to people out there. Um, because of the the injuries. And so to not acknowledge that damage and that harm, and instead to continue to prop up the behavior of the police and excuse it is extremely dangerous. And I think we should all be thinking about what public safety looks like in Richmond if this is who is at the forefront of it and who's leading us. I also think it's really important to remember that if our demand is to defund the police, I don't really think it's a this great of a win or this big victory on LeVar's part to say, I'm going to fire the violent police, chief of police and replace him with another violent chief of police. We already know that we're getting in like reports that this new fella, he's not it. We're hearing already that he might even be worse than uh, the last, uh, than uh, William Smith. So All of this is so performative. Again, it's just another stupid, silly attempt at LeVar trying to revive his uh, destined-to-fail re-election campaign at this point. I'm I'm not satisfied. And getting rid of one police chief doesn't change the behavior. It doesn't get at the root. Angela Davis was saying a few days ago that to be radical is to get at the root of the problem. And that is not what we're doing here today. Replacing one cop with another cop doesn't defund the police, doesn't get us in civilian review board, doesn't get us any further to the markets alert, and it certainly does not get us anywhere closer to not having police violence in our community. In fact, we haven't reduced the amount of police at all. We haven't talked about reducing the budget and it's budget season. So I'm just confused at what actions were actually taken here today, except to switch out one cop for another. 
I think if we had a real leadership, we would have seen the Richmond police minimally be disarmed today. They've proven that they're not using their weapons to defend anyone but themselves. We're seeing a cop riot and they're using these weapons that are being funded by taxpayer dollars to literally assault their citizens, you know, with war weapons. Why, why are we settling for him getting rid of the chief of police? What's that gonna do? We still have 50 some officers out there that are prepared for a war against the citizens. So the interesting part about the weapons is that we're talking about tear gas and we're talking about, you know, rubber bullets, but also about vehicles. That's what we heard from our interviewees. And the vehicle is a weapon, but also what we understand is this uniform has also been weaponized for black folks. And that violence that people are saying is so egregious and outrageous that they're seeing online those are the things that we're feeling. And, and Naomi, you just thinking about it as a 12 year old, like this, these are the worries that we cycle through all the time. Every time we see a car with the police symbol on it, with the badge, even when I see y'all driving around with the little police friendly sticker, y'all ever see that black, it's small. Sometimes it's like a black line with a little blue line through it. That's li- literally them signaling to each other. Hey, we good. I had a friend back in high school and her brother was a cop. And when he became an officer, he gave all of his friends and families these little stickers. It's black with the blue line through it. And he's like, this way the cops know you're one of the good ones and you with us. So they actually have like a logo too. So you know who the good ones, who are the bad ones. And that's also something I heard from the Varstoni and would love y'all's thoughts about with the peaceful protest. Yeah, I think it's really intentional, this binary between good and bad protester, violent and peaceful protester. But what we have to get back to is that the systems that harm us are not peaceful. Starving our schools of money, not peaceful. Wearing riot gear when folks are marching, not peaceful. Actually killing people in the streets, which is the very reason that we're in the streets to begin with, not peaceful. So to come back to us and say, oh, you must be peaceful. You, and what is peaceful? Because chanting or screaming at the cops is deemed violent. It's deemed an unlawful assembly. That's what happened uh, on Monday night. And so I'm trying to understand how we're defining peaceful and violent when the state is violent. Uh, is that peaceful? And so um, I think to make that, that binary is really dangerous because it has the potential to split us as activists. And so to the folks on the ground who are listening, it's really important for y'all, we got to stop chanting peaceful protests. No protest is peaceful. It's meant to disrupt. It's meant to challenge the, the structures of power. So if you're out there saying no justice, no peace, and then you follow that up with peaceful protests, let's take a second and think about that. Because when they're tear gassing us, I bet you they don't care about no peaceful nothing. And so it's time for us to really think about that. What does it mean to challenge power? I thought it was really interesting. Right before LeVar Stoney spoke, uh, a couple of us um, community organizers, we were in a group chat watching Donald Trump speak on police reform. And so I know that there's been talk about national strategy between mayors and the federal government on how they're handling police reform now that 
defunding the police is such a big cry among citizens, American citizens. And I think it's really interesting if you go back and you look at Trump's speech and then you listen to Stoney's speech, how closely they align. And so I, again, I just wanna remind folks to really, when you're electing these people and you're standing for these people, you know, look beyond the skin, look beyond the outer appearance, because when you really get down to the politic and the messaging, what LeVar Stoney said today about peaceful and non-peaceful protests was exactly in alignment with what Donald Trump said earlier. And that's really important to consider. It's a great point, Naomi, because I saw one of the officers picture on Facebook that was saying he was hit with something by protesters and it had urine in it and all of these things. And that was the first I had ever heard of it, except for when LeVar Stoney spoke. And I was like, wow, he's taking the cops narrative and creating it as part of this press conference. And I really appreciate what you said too, Kalia, because every time someone asks me about peaceful protesters, I put it right back to the institution because what they are doing is they're building this bridge in between who deserves to be protected and who deserves to die. And that is why we are here in the first place. And if we fall into line with that, then we haven't learned anything. And for anyone listening, I think it's important to realize that if Colette McEachin, the Commonwealth attorney, who's refusing to drop the charges out of all the protesters in this moment, and LeVar Stoney, if all of these people are talking about peaceful protest and are okay with it, then you all need to really question if you're protesting. That's where we are right now is if you're aligning with their narrative, then you might need to check yourself and come back to the places that you're looking into and learning about like Grace Capital and, and maybe trust us a little bit and dive into some of the things that we're talking about. And we're really trying to educate folks to realize this historical consciousness as well that, you know, one of my favorite movies is Django and Samuel L. Jackson in there, the blackface is worse Right. And so thank you again. And Naomi, for listening. that it doesn't matter the, the skin tone because not all skin folk is skin folk. Speaking of Chelsea's point about the narrative, I find it very interesting that there's been a huge push among progressive organizers to really elevate queer, black, queer, trans and gender nonconforming folks. Meanwhile, Stoney, if he's listening to us, he's definitely not elevating us because every time he speaks on police brutality, he makes it very clear that he's speaking to the gender binary. And I just have to get be a little side-eye because it's not as if Black, trans, and gender nonconforming folks haven't been at his city council meetings, haven't been at these pressers that he's doing. And if he's really committed to all the protecting all the folks in his city, he definitely should be committed to listening to trans and Black folks who are being more targeted by the Richmond Police Department more than anybody. I, I guess he doesn't know that. And... It's important to know that and for us to also learn from that experience. And we know that Southerners on New Ground does a lot of that work and they're right here in Virginia. And I think they are also holding a training space coming up for people that are interested. Yeah, so a great organization called Power Shift uh, Network it will be hosting a webinar. They host a webinar every Friday, but it will be on this upcoming Thursday. So typically, PowerShift Network hosts these webinars every Friday, but because Juneteenth is now a state-recognized holiday, they are moving their webinar to, to Thursday this week. And this webinar will focus on the history and context of 
police and prison abolition, as well as incarceration um, and the policing of black and brown people in the U.S. overall. So just really be conscious to connect this street work that you're doing, connect this social media posting that you're doing to the historical context and really reading up and skilling up as Song likes to say. So because our power is rooted in our knowledge and uh, when we can elevate the narratives and the history that they've tried so hard to suppress from us, that's really powerful. It's a long fight for social justice. So it's important for us to celebrate the wins that come along with that. The monuments coming down, Juneteenth being celebrated as a paid state holiday. But we have to realize that these are symbols to white supremacy. And our demands go much deeper than that. So it's important for us to continue to demand change, not just symbolic change, but actual change that we can feel for generations. And that's going to look like defunding and eventually abolishing the police. That's going to look like getting cops out of our schools. It's going to look like a lot of things that we haven't even imagined yet. And I really just urge us to dive into this idea of imagining a new world that isn't filled with terror of white supremacists and police officers. I want people to leave this episode hungry, hungry to go to a abolition workshop to learn more, to listen to our old episodes and get this historical consciousness that we're, we're putting out here to the radio waves. It's time for us to do the work both in the streets and out of the streets to get these demands met and to have justice for Black lives. I think it's really important to remember that these monuments to white supremacy are erected not only in the physical structures, but also in the systems and in the leadership. White supremacy won't have truly tumbled. The Confederacy will not have truly falled until we see leadership and power back in the hands of indigenous and black folks. And until we see our criminal justice system completely reformed, until we see our education system completely reformed. And so we have a long, long fight. Y'all got to start reading the books on the syllabus because it tells you the answer. Freedom is a constant struggle. (laughs) Prisons are absolutely, you know, it's going to give you all that you need to know. So really plug into these people who have been doing the work and who have been in community and conversation with folks who have experienced police violence and know the solutions on how to end it. And uh, that just brings me back to something I was thinking earlier is that like our elected leaderships, they keep acting like they don't have the solutions, like they haven't been posed, but we've been coming year after year after year, giving them the solutions to not only um, how we can end policing, not only how we can defund the RPD, but how we can end poverty in the city. And they've chosen to ignore us. So don't, you know, (laughs) just remember that the solutions are out there and they're very simple and they've been said many, many times before. And we don't need our mayor marching with us. We don't need police marching with us. We don't need city council folks out here getting tear gas. We need y'all talking to your peers and making these changes. We're out in the streets to urge you all to make the changes. We don't need you out here with us doing that. That's repetitive. So Mayor Stoney, to all of the council people, get to work. If you want us out of the streets, get to work. And we know that November is coming up. And I was asked by a reporter if I wanted the protest to end, and I immediately said no. I said, we're not done yet. We're not even close. And that's important for people that feel like they're in this struggle right now to realize it's constant. And right now, it's rapid. And we're in a rapid response mode. 
If you don't understand what that term means, go ahead and look that one up too, because it's a different type of organizing and thinking. But we appreciate everyone that has trusted Race Capital for coming along with us. We welcome our new Patreons. We appreciate every single one of you and will every month. And again, we just want to appreciate our guests that came and shared their story on our platform. If you have a story that you want to share, please email us at racecapital at gmail.com. That's the best way to try and get in touch with us. Thank you to everyone in our DMs. We're trying to get to them as quickly as we can. The love is there. The justice is coming. Stick together. Let's go. Die